Luke chapter 15 verse 11 and he said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far-off country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens in that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to, him, came to himself or came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these years I've served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured all your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother, this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, I just want to interrupt one series that I'm doing if you're a visitor here. I'm working through Ruth. I've just got a few to go. But I just wanted to interrupt to just look at this uh, subject as a, 
as a one-off. So it is a, a one-off. And we're going to look at the, the, the prodigal son. I don't know whether you've realized yet, but even by the testimonies and some of the prophetic words and some of the, uh, some of the things that were coming out, that, that actually all of us have arrived here this morning safe and sound because of the grace of God. <laughs> Literally because of the grace of God. And people do wonder away from God, from all sorts of reasons. And this morning, what I don't want to do is look into those sort of reasons. I just wanted to know as a fact that people do wander away from God. You may have wandered away from God. I know in my time that I have wandered away from God. You may have wandered away, you may be wandering away from God at this point. But I don't want us to look into the reasons. I want us to look into this fact that I... I just feel that the church needs to make time, as it were, or have in, its, have in its thinking that being church means that prodigals return to us. And if you look at Jesus' story, this is one of, the, one of the parables. He actually stopped to tell them a story so that they could expect it for the future. And sometimes we need to understand, even in church, that yes, we want people saved, but also the reality of life is that people will wander away from God and the church needs to be ready for them to wander back. It's just the way uh, that it is. So what is a prodigal then? What is a prodigal? Well, let's do it in terms of uh, this story. It seems that we can describe the prodigal as this. Someone who has wandered away from the father and has wandered away from the father's family. And the key really is, it is the father and the father's family. You can get people that say, well, I've come back to God. I have a good relationship with God, but actually I I don't want to go to church. I just don't want to be a part of that anymore. And as tough as that may seem, because probably it is maybe that the church that may have even hurt you, I would like to suggest that you are still a prodigal. I want to suggest that because what the story goes on to do is not just look at the father's heart for you, but look at how the son is integrated back into the family. That it is part of a journey. So restoration for for the young son was not just that he had a relationship with his father again, but that actually that he went and dwelt in the family that he left. That's tough. Because you at this point might be thinking, well, I know people that are like this. And what I want to do today is look at some questions. What, what can I pray? What can I pray? I want to look at what can I do? Because sometimes when you felt with this sort of thing, you feel pretty helpless to know what to do. And the big question, have they just gone too far? Do you need to, what the Bible calls, sort of hand them over? which has been suggested. I'm not going to just cover that, just cover that very briefly. Some people have said, oh, they just need to be handed over to Satan. Wow, it's tough. So what do we pray? 
I believe, firstly, that we need to pray intelligently. What do I mean that? I think if we look at the story, we need to pray first to break a spirit of independence, which had come on the sun, which is basically, give me my money, I know exactly what I'm doing, and I don't need you anymore. The younger son thought, and you can see this in verses 12 to 16, that being free from his father and being free from family restraints would make him the most happiest person on the face of this earth. That's what he thought. He thought, give me the money, get rid of the father, get rid of the father's family, and I will be free. He said, give me my share. Give me my share. Now, I think that's an independent spirit, personally, isn't it? Give me my share. But as we look at the story, we see where independence leads. Why, actually, I need you and you need me. Because it says that independence led him to a distant country, to a far-off country, somewhere that was a long way off. And that's what independence can do. can lead you a long, long way off. We can also see that independence brought to this young guy what we might call short-term satisfaction. He had it all for a while and life was good. Now, some people ask, they say, well, you know, but it was sinful. Let's just face facts here. Sin is great. That's the problem with sin. It is good stuff. So when he went and he sinned, he wasn't thinking in his father's family over here. He wasn't thinking, hey, I must, must get back here. It was only when he was at the end of the... T- Actually, when he was there, he was having fun. Because sin is fun. It is really good stuff. And we need to remember to just remember in our minds that in the end, though, it is short... I'm not going to ask you, hands up those that have had regret. Because if you've had regret, you know, some of you, that that was a sin of short term, wasn't it? Because you probably had fun and regret, didn't you? All those I'm looking to scan to see whether you've had a hangover. It was fun Saturday, wasn't it? But Sunday morning. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. I was going to give an illustration about somebody in my family, but I just thought, no, it's on the internet, can't do that. It's interesting that independence also takes you into a land which eventually will arrive in famine. Because that's what happened when he went there. The land was great, but then it all went wrong. And because his, his thinking and his living and, and the way that he'd based his life was, was all on sort of fun and enjoyment and spending money and all that sort of stuff, when the famine came, he was in deep trouble. And sometimes even out in the world we forget that there are people out there that feel the famine. They've known the fun, but actually they're living in the famine. 
independence introduced him to shallow friendships. Oh, we had some friends for a while. He spent some money with them. In fact, they spent his. He was the sort of guy that, you know, would go in the pub, a bit like Roland, take you in the pub, and he would say, you know, to everybody, you know, the drinks are on me. And, you know, and everybody would, you know, cared, worry, because, you know, watching as the, as the pound co. But, they, you know, he, he wasn't like Roland, actually, but he was... But maybe, you know, next quiz night that they have, you know, Roland can do... But, you know, it's that sort of thing. It's that sort of guy. The drinks are on me, guys. You know, come on. It's that sort of guy. And everybody loved him. Not because of who he was, but what he could give them. So pleasure was based on short short term, but friendships that are based on what I can give you, not who I am. Independence... Uh, puts you in greater need than before. Which is what happened. His independence got him... I know we've ever had this story. You know, the independence got him in a bigger mess than he was in before. And you hear that somewhere. You, you, you talk to people somewhere and, they, and they'll say to you, I don't know quite how I got into this mess. And the mess that they're in is far, far greater. And it's almost as if you, you sort of say this sort of thing, don't you? I don't know whether anybody's been through this, but you sort of say, well, we'll wait and see what happens. Things can't get any worse than it is right now for them. And you walk with them and you experience that sort of thing. And if you're family or that sort of thing, you feel the agony of it and you say those comforting words, things can't get any worse. And then... The phone rings. And you can't invent how it's getting worse. But it just seems to. And it seems that when people have got this in their mind, that it goes beyond even our mind, our rational mind. That it just... Things seems to get worse. The the needs are greater than ever before. And that has to be our starting point. Our starting point has got to be, Lord, would you break this spirit of independence? Lord, please break it. Please break it. I think you can pray that they will remember, secondly, the blessings of the past. The blessings of the past. In verse 17, the prodigal remembered that the, even that the father's hired hands were cared for. That's what he remembered. D.L. Moody said this. He said, there is hope for those who choose to think. And that's exactly what he did. He just thought, and he just thought, hold on. <laughs> My father's slaves get treated better than I am right now. So we can pray. Can, Lord, let them remember the blessings of the, the past. You know, sometimes what we think is this. I don't know whether you've ever done this, that the answer is to sit down and to shout at them. And to sit them down and explain exactly where their life will lead, what they are doing, what the consequences will be, what the problems are, and the pain that it is causing you. That's what they need. Sit them down and deliver them one. 
Now, there are two things. One, firstly, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Secondly, if I may say it, I've tried it. It don't work. Because this is what happens when you address people like that. I've done this in family and out of family. They just grit their teeth and become more stubborn when you've sat them down for that little chat. It doesn't work. You have to go to prayer. You see, I believe this, that you won't make them come to their senses. Only the Lord can make them come to their senses. And that is why it says in the Bible that prayer penetrates to the... Remember that? Prayer penetrates. Just remember this, Nigel. I don't penetrate. (laughs) Prayer penetrates. And as soon as the son had remembered, you see, he made the decision to set out and to go back to his father. He knew that his father would not let him down. He was able to walk back home. So we pray, Lord, break the independent spirit. Lord, let them remember the blessings of the past. Bring back the blessings of the past. The father has a heart for the prodigal. So if God's moving, then what we should be expecting amongst us is a returning of the prodigals. I think thirdly, we have to say this, Lord, would you give me a heart for the prodigals? Why? Because it's just tough receiving back prodigals. It's just tough. The father was waiting for the return of his sons. And it says in verse 20, he saw him a long way off. That father must have sat and stood on a hill and waited day after day for that one son. Ask the question, how many times did he wake up and think, will my son come over that hill? Every day, every waking moment, every time that he went to bed, yeah, he saw him a long way off. He was ready and waiting. But look at him, verse 20, it says that he was filled with compassion. And we need to remember that it's us that makes it difficult for prodigal's return. It's never God that does. Because here's the father, filled with compassion, come as you are. Filled with compassion to this sinful, ratbag, selfish, independent, pleasure-seeking son. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And verse 20 goes on, it says, And he ran to his son. I've realized this, that as I get older, I'm not so dignified. Sometimes even in worship, I find that I don't even know which direction that I'm pointing in. That it's just gone. North, south, east and west. I don't know. I I used to be able to walk on pavements without tripping up. But now I don't seem to be able to. I've noticed that Callie and I hold our hands more. 
Is it because we're... No, it's because we're trying to keep ourselves up. Because we both do it. No, it's because we're in love. Would you like me to go into more details? Oh, okay. okay. Would you like me to go into... No. Daughter's here. Okay. You, you. Anyway. In, in the culture of the day, it would have been seen for an elderly man undignified for him to run because he would have had to have picked up his robe he would have had to hook it over his shoulder and he would have had to have run but he looked at this he looked and he said son undignified and he went undignified undignified let's run and it says I love this he threw his arms around him and he kissed him But what is the reality about that statement? If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy, back a bit, 21. Deuteronomy 21. Go Genesis and Exodus and on a little bit. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 18. Uh, yeah, verse 18. And this is what he should have done. It says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or obey the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and mother should take hold of him, wouldn't you like that? Take hold of him and bring him out. Isn't that like bring him out? Bring him out and to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of this city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. How many times? He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Punishment. Verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge evil from your midst And Israel shall hear and fear. And how many people have just longed for that? Because actually the reality is with that, is that often that is how many of us have felt. But that is a law. So the father runs out to his son and he places his arms around him and he kisses him. Now I want you to imagine that he's doing this in the context of the village. And the village elders may or may not have been there, but it is a story, so we'll give it a little bit of license. The father's moving towards his rebellious son. The villagers have picked up their stones. They are ready. They know the history of this rebellious son. And the father, what does he do? Covers the son. He covers the son. He says... 
I will die in his place. The sin is mine and not his. Where's that a picture of? Your sin, my sin, has been covered by Jesus who ran to us and put his arms around us and took what should be ours. And it wasn't stones, but it was a cross. But he covered our sin and kissed us. Not a stone, but a kiss. So the question is, is there a prodigal too far? No, because Jesus covered our sin by his death and kissed him as an affirmation. So, no, nothing's too far. No sin is too great. Anybody can come. Just need to see it. See the Father's love for you. So those are some ways which we can pray. But I want to ask the question, what is required from the prodigal? Is it all just one way? Well, if you look at verse 18, you'll find out that what was needed was a change of heart and a change of direction. I will set out and I will go back to my father. I will leave this behind. I will go that way. The prodigal was going to leave his sin and his life behind. There is a thought in modern day church and you can read it in some of the modern day counselling books that you can get from all sorts of good Christian stores. And the thought is this, bring the sin and sort the problem. Now I just want to say something about this, it's a theological thing, that actually is in our books right now. It's a counselling thing, bring the sin and sort the problem. Repentance is a hard decision to leave everything behind. So when we're looking for something, we're looking for that. Because he said this, he said this, he said, I have sinned to himself, and then he would say to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's what he could see. I could see he could see that. So there is a, a deep realization that they're wrong. Is it just, ah, come back? It's pointless as welcoming people back that think they've done no wrong and are unwilling to change. Because my experience is this, is that it affects the whole. Because they bring those values into the centre of church life and begin to speak out those values. And my experience over different years of leading churches is if you do that, you just get a group of people that swell in regard to sin. That's what happens. You bring them in. So no, we're looking for repentance, a leaving behind. Um, We're looking for a change of heart and direction. So we're going to need to spend some time looking at our hearts in, in coping with the returning prodigals. What we know is that it's a long journey back. It's not a short journey. It was a long journey away. It's a long journey back. 
And when the prodigal returns, we discover in the, in the story that there is tension. There's tension in the family. There's tension between the older brother and the younger brother. And we need to understand that because trust has been broken down. And at the back of our minds, when you're looking at the prodigal, the reality is that you are living with the fact that you are unsure whether they tomorrow might come and ask you for the next part of the inheritance. So there's, there's trust that has gone. There's, the, there's, the, there's fear. Will they, will they just go back to it? Will they here for a short while? Are they going to milk me for a while and then just bog off again? Is that what's going to happen? So there's tension between in the family. So we need to understand that. When we are bringing people back into our family, there's tension, folks. We've got to live with it. We've got to live with the tension. We've got to live with the jangly bit and all that sort of stuff. Just let's cope, okay? Let's be big Christians, not little ones. There'll be tension. There's even more tension because father's got out there And he's got out the best robe. He's got the best robe, the best ring, the new sandals, the fatting calf, before he even tells the younger son what's going on. And you hear these words coming from every mature Christian that has never done anything in the world, not even nicked the biro pen out of my bag. The big biro pens, which I've only got one left. And before you all go, I'm coming to look in all your bags to find out where my big pens have gone. My wife tells me it's the cat. I think that I leave my bag innocently in the front of the church and people say, who has got a pen? And they go, Nigel has. And since I have been in Wrexham, I've spent £973 on big pens that have never returned because of, I think. And I utter those words, it's just not fair. And that is the, because can you imagine it? It says this, that all this is going on, this kerfuffle's going on, the fatted calf, the robe, and all this thing. And it says, meanwhile, the sun is in the field. And you can feel like, you can feel like I have done the coffee rotor for 40 years. You can feel like I've worked in Sunday club. And then they come back. And we can feel real sort of, I've been plugging it away here. Working my socks off. It is not fair. No, it ain't fair, folks. There's a parable that will tell you about that. We haven't got time to go into that, but there is a parable into it. The spirit of the older brother, I believe, can affect our church growth. How will it affect our church growth? Verse 28. The brother refuses to enter his own house. He was not going to have anything to do with him. Well, God dear. That's extraordinary. 
It's sort of, I know what, the way that I will treat him. I'll have a wait and see policy. I will talk to them, share my life with them, when they have proved to me A, B, C or D. So, when the brother refuses to enter his own house, <laughs> it's sort of, I'm not going to do that because he's there. Verse 29. I've been slaving for you. Sort of, where was he when I needed him? I've been out in the field. What has he been doing? And there is that sort of sense, you know, come on, you know, I've been carrying PA for 73 years. And now he's turned up and he wants to tell me how to twiddle the knobs. I know exactly what he can do with his knobs. And it is true, because we've got this thing about, you know, I do, it is really an attitude that does come with it. We actually find it quite difficult. I've got a guy that I knew who committed adultery. And uh, had been also homeless. And I was part of his restoration process. And there came a day when I did the famous thing and I said, I'd like you to preach. And he, had, he went to bits. He said, I'm, I'm not sure I can preach. He said, because I, I know what people know. And I said, nah, that'll be all right. Forgiveness. Somebody, you know, this is the people of God. You know, no problem. Take the mic. Have the floor. You know, that's oh, come on. You know, this is church. Did all the stuff. This is family. They love you. They are for you. That you know, we, we they've seen what you've done. They've looked at your kids and all that sort of stuff. Oh, all the stuff. Gave him the big build up. You could feel the chest swell up as he think Nigel. He's confident in me. Sunday morning. And I, and I brought him up and said, "Going to preach." How many complaints did you think that I had? None. Absolutely <laughs> loads. Do you know why? Because the people of God could not do what God had done with him, which was forgive him. And if you and I do not choose to forgive, the Bible tells us a root of bitterness will come up. And do you know what it says after that? It goes sideways. So the Bible says it comes up and it grows. It will grow into the person that you are sitting next to. Verse 29, it says, I've never disobeyed your orders. <laughs> it's just lovely, this. I love that. I love, I look, look, Dad, I've never done anything wrong. And him, he's so wrong. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to look each other in the eye and say, all have sinned. 
Because what we do is that we say, this one is a big sin. Brian's sin of Watford is huge. My sin, because the Lord is with me and the wolves have got promoted, I've got it in! We, I have got less sin than Brian. And we sort of, that's the way that we view it. We look at people and we put them into the Premier League of Sin and the Conference League of Sin. And then there's me. I'm just park football sin. I just, you know, never just kick it around. And we do that in our lives. It's the way that we look at each other. God does not look upon the sin of man. We are clothed in Christ. He cannot see our sin because he is, we've been clothed with him. And the way that we evaluate ourselves is, I am just so perfect. And him? Pah! Verse 29, you never gave me even. Which was like, look, he had his inheritance. And I've had Nothing. Hold on. This was the elder son. It was his by birthright. What is the problem here? The problem here is the focus has moved from the older son to the younger son. And that's what some people do. I, you know, I just don't like it when the focus is just taken off me. Verse 30. <laughs> Again, he talks, to, he talks to his dad and he says, he says, look, dad, this son of yours... Not my brother anymore. This son of yours, I've nothing to do with it. And it can be that because what you can have in church is you can have the thems. You know, we're we're not quite like them. You know, we've never stood up in church and said, "I am the Samaritan woman." Glad she's not in my cell group. I've had just one husband for 98 years. <laughs> this son of yours. Verse 30. Even exaggeration. He gets accused by the brother of prostitution which he never actually did. He probably slept with a few, but never prostitution. And it's sort of that, isn't it? That sort of Christian thing that, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, well, actually, Linda didn't tell you the half, but let me help you. <laughs> and we sort of, you know, we, we're, we're away. It's almost as if in, with Christians that forgiveness has gone off the planet because this is juicy stuff. You should hear the Linda stuff. And did you pray together? Did you worship together? Did you read the book? No, but the stuff about Linda. Do you know over the years, I have to say that people have um, believed some of the most amazing stuff about me. It is, you know, let, ask Kelly what people are. She's got great big These are the things that she... And, you know, sometimes we would rather believe what somebody else has be- told 
us than actually ask the person themselves. And actually, Linda, if God has forgiven you, then I must too. It's not a license. I don't not have a license to accuse you. So the question is then, what are three things that we can learn with all of this? And I'll conclude with this, and they are short. Uh, it's simply this, verse 31. Lessons to learn. Verse 31. You are always with me. I want to just say to you this. Don't neglect the Father. Don't neglect the Father. Enjoy the fact that you have the Father. Don't miss out on it. Because I know this, that most people return with a regret that they live for life. And they can't change that period. But you can celebrate the fact that you are always with me. Don't neglect the Father. Secondly, the Father said this, we had to celebrate. Every person. The Bible tells us this, that if somebody, retur- if somebody becomes a Christian this morning, in heaven, there will be a party. We should celebrate salvation. It shouldn't be numbers game. It shouldn't be just dour and just say, the Lord has done a good work. It's party time. It's part. One sinner has been saved. Heaven parties and we all praise the Lord. I want to engage sometimes in heavenly activity. Don't you wish, just for a moment, you could grow up. What on earth is going on in heaven when one person saves, is saved? What on earth? Do you think it's a reverent thing that's going on? I think it must be wild. And if that's in regard to salvation, then it is only appropriate that actually we also celebrate the return of people back to God. Let's throw a party, folks. Let's throw a party. The sun has returned. Thirdly, lastly, before we pray, this brother of yours, what on earth is that statement? This brother of yours, you know, whatever folk have done, whatever folk have said, whatever they will do, whether that's me or you, they are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. You may not agree with what they've done. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if you sat by them in heaven for eternity? Because God's got a sense of humour. They are still brothers and sisters. And Phil, if I offend you, which I know that I will and I have and that sort of stuff, you know, I'm still your brother. You're not my sister, I know, but you're still. And we have to remember that. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes we can treat them, can't we? Oh, those are the prodigals. Those are the ones that did know the Lord and wandered off somewhere. 
Ooh. No. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. They're not dwelling where I am. But come on, I'm going to share eternity with them. I have a relationship with them. I care for them. I, I love them passionately. So whatever they've done, or folk, they are still our brothers and sisters. So enjoy the Father. Celebrate together. And remember that they're our brothers and sisters. I want to pray. And what I want to do is, I don't know whether you know someone, don't know someone, friend or family, I don't want to expose you or don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. But I want to pray some of the things that I just highlighted right at the very beginning. And I want to pray about breaking the spirit of of dependence I want to pray about them remembering the blessings of the past. And I want to pray about uh, to give us God's heart for the prodigals. I just want to pray those three things. Now, you will know someone, friend, family, ex-church member, somebody somewhere. May or may not have hurt you, may have hurt you. When I pray in your mind, and not shouting it out, (laughs) I want you to think of them. And when I'm when you say an amen to the three parts, I want you to sort of amen to them, Lord. Now just as I'm saying that you probably know the person that I'm talking about. And I guess for you this is tough. But for God it's not tough. Because even when there's no food for the pigs, God can speak. God can speak. And I'm going to believe when I'm praying that there will be a remembering going on. I may have not got up this morning. So please stand with me. Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the day that you broke into their lives, that you radically saved them, that you radically changed their life forever. We know, Lord, that one day they will be in heaven with you. We know, Lord, that you love them. We know, Lord, that you have not given up from them that you are that father waiting on the, to- on the top of that hill, looking for a far for them to return. And we ask you, Lord, right now, that you would break the spirit of independence in them. That, Lord, you would come and just break the thinking that has built up a wall in their mind and heart. We ask you to break it in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, to smash it up so that they can call to you. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, right now that they would remember the blessings of the past. Father, would you help them to remember you and your home? All the good things about you and your home.
that, Lord, that the thoughts would come away from self and would come and focus very firmly on you and your home. We just speak hope into their life in Jesus' name. Let hope come, Lord. Lord, we know that it's difficult to remember because they have to face up to the consequences. Help them to be brave in their remembering. Give them great courage, Lord, to pick the phone up. Give them great courage, Lord, to just call or text or write or shout. Give them great courage, Lord. Help them to remember. And Father, we pray for us as a church. We ask you for your heart for the prodigals. We know, Lord, it will cost us. But we ask you, we say, Lord, we want to do it. We want to do it. Uh, Our desire, Lord, is to see many of your prodigals returning to you. Lord, help us to be a church with loads of stories of prodigals returning to you. (laughs) Lord, we pray for more stories. Thank you, Lord. Um, I don't know some of you. I know some visitors here this morning, um, and I don't know... I know this is a story about God's love for people that were in a family... Uh, and left the family to go and do their own thing. Um, But I just want to say to you this. um, It's a great family. (laughs) And if you are not in the family and don't know the father and the father's love, uh, then you can know that. You You can know the family. You can know the father, know the father's love, and be in the family. And I don't know if you would like me to pray that with you we'd like to talk to the person that brought you please do that father we just thank you for today we thank you for speaking to us and lord we just ask you to to be with us uh, for all that we've got before us in this day and in the coming week amen